Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six and a half. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? He's got an amazing ability to take it all in his stride, Evan Ferguson, but also occasionally, just occasionally, giving a glimpse into what it must actually feel like to be an 18-year-old footballer scoring goals for fun in the Premier League. There was a nice little moment after the second goal of Saturday's hat-trick when all his teammates were mobbing him, Ferguson accepting all the pats on the head. Then Lewis Dunk ambled over to join the celebrations. Brighton captain. Yeah, well, Brighton captain, leader in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. A one-club man, Mr. Brighton. Lewis Dunk. I couldn't help notice Ferguson's demeanour change slightly. Just briefly, mm. he looked like a teenager for once. He sort of raises his eyes up to Dunk almost pleadingly, as though he's looking for the big man's approval. Tall man, Dunk. Very tall. It could just be that Dunk is a lot taller. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's the only one that he actually has to, that Ferguson has to look mm. up to. But it looked a little bit like there was a slightly puppy dog look to Ferguson, which you don't normally see when he's crucifying defenders left, yeah, right and centre yeah. and banging the ball into the bottom corner. I noticed that moment as well, but uh, to be honest, my f- my first thought was... Lewis Dunk is really Jesus big. Christ, Lewis Dunk is massive. <laughs> Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Murphy. <laughs> this is, we're at this level now where we're just psychoanalysing mm. uh, Lewis Dunk. In, in, <laughs> he's just look, he's a bit part player in the Evan Ferguson story and it's how it's going to go for the next, hopefully, 15 years. It's going to be a lot of these guys, a lot of these extraneous characters. How are you again? Good. Milner, of course. Oh. James Milner, another one. Did you, I don't know if you saw Milner's quotes about him. <laughs> Um, Milner, Milner was saying uh, so Milner obviously he scored a hat-trick Milner was like early on he closed down and blocked the ball going forward that might seem a minor thing but it sets a tempo ah bore off Milner <laughs> <laughs> it shows his intent without the ball is, are you sure this wasn't the boring James Milner when he's the ugly no no but, but Milner uh, <laughs> because Milner is now I saw Richard uh, yeah. Jolly <laughs> Richard Jolly had one of his statistics for James Milner's career has now lasted longer than the gap between World War 1 and World War 2 <laughs> <laughs> right? so he's 
span the entire interwar period. <laughs> and he and he actually started to sound a bit like a person from that time. Yeah. When he when he was saying he says, I did play with Shearer at Newcastle. You're like, What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, At least he wasn't Southampton. I played with uh, Jimmy Greaves, late career yeah, Jimmy yeah. Greaves, of course. He He'd sp- lost a yard, but uh, <laughs> Evan still has a lot to learn from it, the likes of the, uh, the Greavesies of this world. He said, when I was a young player, it was the likes of David Batty and Dom Matteo that kept my feet on the <laughs> ground. Very old school, probably more than now. Although I still have a bit of that old school. Said it did strike me even when Ferguson was asked, do you know who else has scored Premier League hat-tricks as an 18-year-old? And that it was, I think it was Kelly Kate starts reeling off the names. Mm. Chris Bart Williams. Yeah. Michael Owen. Robbie Fowler. I was like, does he know who any of these people yeah. are? He definitely doesn't know who Chris Bart Williams is. Does he definitely know who the others are? It depends how keen a student of the game he is. The, the, the lad is only 18 years of age. I know, James Miller might have been impressed with the high pressing, but most of us were more impressed with the James goals, Miller played with Michael Owen, of course. Yep. Ferguson fancies the hat trick! But he's laying down his claim for that one, all right, Evan Ferguson. He has ripped Newcastle apart. Was that one okay for you, Dunkey? Yes, lad. Yes, it was. He put in a tidy performance in his post-match TV interview as well. This clip has been rehashed a lot in the last 24 hours as an example of how a parent should handle their talented young sporting child. I mostly just like it for the subtle shade he throws on his dad's footballing abilities right at the start. Played a bit, I heard. I hear. Yeah, he, he tried, I think. Centre-back, though? He tried. <laughs> Centre-back. Big centre-back. What was he yeah. like? Is it, was it, is it, what was he like? Did he, was he demanding on you? Was nah. It, was he, like, he was one of them that would be standing in the corner on the sideline with his jacket and his hood up, you know what I mean, saying nothing, so... But I think that helped me because if I did need that and I could go over and talk to him and he'd know what he's talking about, you know what I mean? But he wouldn't ever put put any pressure on me. Evan Ferguson spitting out the words centre half. <laughs> centre half or something. What's that? That's, that's like a substitute, I think? Yeah. I don't know exactly. Next on Ferguson's hit list, France on Thursday night. We'll be putting out one of our late night post-match pods that evening for World Service members featuring Ken and Paris. God, Henry has controlled the world basketball style. To hear that late night France versus Ireland pod on Thursday, you're going to have to be signed up to the World Service and secondcaptains.com for a five or a month plus VAT. Lara Siverton on today's show with Andrew Mangan of Ars Blog after today's report on sport. James Milner actually would have played with Robbie Fowler as well. In the Leeds. Wow, yeah, he's, probably. He's, he's, he's played with everyone. Yeah. He has played with everyone. Chris Bart Williams, he might have had a spell with Chris no, Bart Williams. No, I was I, Bart Williams and he I mean they they overlapped in time but not in place. Mm. And, uh, so uh, Michael yeah. Owen was pretty good at 18 year old, wasn't he? <clears throat> Three hat tricks as a teenager. What happened to him when he was 19? None of these players interestingly scored a hat trick when they were 19. <laughs> yeah. They were all 18 year old hat trick all scores. Well, what happened to Michael Owen was he ripped Second his leg syndrome. in half. Yeah. No, yeah, it was uh, you know I was I was struck by watching this. I mean, this is obviously phenomenal, right? He's the first guy to score a hat trick at a, a, the first eighteen-year-old score a hat trick in the Premier League for twenty-five years. Mm-hmm. So the last person to do it was Mike Lowen, who did it three times in nineteen ninety-eight. Um, so that I mean, it's an incredible achievement. Yeah. You know, this people just don't do this. You know, uh, well, I suppose you know maybe early on if he'd been in the Premier League when he was eighteen, maybe he would have scored a hat trick. Mm. But you know, this is like. This is phenomenal. But what I kind of found striking and actually increasingly obnoxious mm-hmm. was the way in which as soon as this happened, everyone just started, started talking about how much money Brighton were going to sell him for. Mm. 
You know, like as though it was just immediately he just became like he he does this amazing thing, and then immediately all everyone is talking about is how it's going to be a transfer record, right? He oh you know how much mm. oh no you know it's going to be one hundred fifty maybe two hundred million. <laughs> like what is this? Depends madness? if the Saudis are interested. It could be three hundred million. But isn't that interesting how how kind of normal it now seems to just do that? Yeah. And this was not actually the way this is the, things did not actually used to be like that. So I went and looked back at some of the. Um, like archive about what were, what did people say when Michael Owen did this in 1998, mm. and the reaction. I mean, it's it's obviously a completely a totally different media environment. It's like just the the, um, the papers, yeah. you know, papers, TV, radio, whatever. You know, you don't have actually everybody kind of saying there's stuff on on Twitter or whatever. Um, but and and people did used to write better columns back then, by the way, because they knew that no one was going to read. You know, the people they were talking about weren't going to read the column. <laughs> you, you could be pretty sure you could get away with stuff. <laughs> you can't there, was a, there was a looseness there. People were a bit more free okay. and, you know, what they said, and also somewhat more critical. But, like, the Owen stuff was just all about what a phenomenal footballer he was. You know, like, oh, wow, you know, he could do anything. And, you know, will he play for uh, England and France? That's Glenn? what I would have guessed. Yeah, I would have guessed there was a lot of stuff about the World Cup. Yeah. Because it was coming up that summer. France, I Will Glenn Hoddle pick him? He he likes to pick Sheringham. Shearer loves Sheringham, and they've got a thing. But, you know, Owen, he must play. Uh, and, you know, can he inspire Liverpool to a title? I mean, of course not. Like, they were terrible. Um, uh, but, you know, this was, uh, you know, no one, I, I couldn't find any anything saying, oh, how much how much must he be worth? Mm. You know, what you know, what must he be worth? Um, like, if records are mentioned, it's like, it's Bobby Charlton's record. You know, mm. his England record or, you know, Ian Rush or uh, people talk about Jimmy Greaves, you know, this kind of stuff. It's, not it's like- probably different, though, because he's playing for Liverpool, you know, in that like there he's the idea of Michael Owen spending his entire career at Liverpool is not that uh, far fetched. Yeah. Whereas well, when Matt Letizia, for example, used to do stuff, it was always maybe not a transfer fee. They weren't necessarily telling me how much it would cost, but there was always the speculation. Will he go yeah. to a bigger club and yeah. fulfill a Whereas, So I think maybe it is the Brighton thing. That well, I looked at, um, I thought the same thing, Murph, actually. Huh. And um, what was the, the most, the, the next sort of great youthquake event in English football? <laughs> Youthquake. <laughs> what was the next youthquake? Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott. Well, Walcott, 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 Walcott was on with was on with Keane. Yeah, didn't yeah. I thought there was something wrong with me telly. He was t- talking so quietly that I had to like turn up the volume on my television <laughs> and then turn it back down again when everyone else was like shouting at me. Yeah, Keane retired the same summer as Walcott went to the World Cup, aged eighteen. Remember, and now yeah. like Walcott has retired. Well, has he retired? He has retired. Yeah, he retired on the overlap. Oh, okay, Gary Neville. Yeah, I missed that episode, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, the I next thought, well, youth quick. An entire career has passed by in the time that Keane's been retiring. No, it wasn't. It, I was thinking a, a bigger one than Walcott. Uh, Go on. About midway between the Owen and Walcott events. 2002 then. Mm. So we'll, we'll be talking about... Are you talking about Premier League? Yeah. Premier Robbie League Keane. youth quake. That was long <laughs> before on. that. He was back from Inter Milan at that yeah, stage. Yeah, he was, yeah. Wayne Rooney scored a oh. goal against Arsenal yes. age 16. Yes. I remember that now. Was, uh, <laughs> so I, th- I thought, well, that's kind of a more interesting one in that, in that, in that sense, if yeah. you want to say, because like, okay, he's, he's probably not going to be playing for Everton. You know, this, and again, there's no kind of talk about like transfer record. Again, it's all like, oh, it, there's stuff, like Wenger came out with some amazing quotes after the game. 
this is this guy is the biggest talent I've ever seen uh, in English football. Mm. You know, he is amazing. But but you will need to like things are going to go completely crazy for this guy, mm. and you know you'll have to kind of look after him sort of thing and that which which also echoed some of the stuff that was being said about Owen like you know oh will he become big headed or you know we have to build people up and knock them down and there will be challenges and all this kind of stuff but it's, it doesn't kind of instantly commodify the players in the way that Ferguson is now, is now like, oh you know how much will Brighton you know and who will who will they get in to replace this guy <laughs> <laughs> you know like it was, it's, it's crazy it's an extension yeah. of the transfer Deadline. The, the whole transfer window. It know, is. Phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's what people, this is how people think about football. And in fairness, it has just closed. And Brighton have just sold somebody for 115 million. Yeah. Pounds. And we have this kind of, we have this situation now where like the, we have this whole uh, array of like uh, celebrity journalists. The most successful people in our um, industry, Owen, are transferred news reporters. Yeah. Of whom the two top guys right now are David Ornstein of the Athletic and Fabrizio Romano of Romano Industries. <laughs> and the ever-burgeoning Romano Industries. But it is it is a kind of an interesting, like, I, I mean, it's one of those things where, remember there's that quote from John Giles saying, I don't really get the Twitter business. Yeah. I'm, I kind of feel a bit like that. I'm, a bit, I'm in that zone. I'm kind of like, this is... You know, on the one, well, on the one hand, accepting this is it requires a lot of work with sources, you know, getting information, blah blah blah. It is reporting things that are going to be announced in a few minutes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not that if I don't do this reporting, the thing doesn't this will happen. this will never be revealed. Yeah, yeah, like like I, I'm yeah. exposing a hidden truth. It's yeah. like I'm going to re- report this thing first before. You know what I mean? Now, obviously, this does garner a lot of tension because people are like oh you know yeah. interesting you know this is like but, this, I mean, this kind of story getting is like a yeah. basic element of journalism that's true yeah. but it's kind of it, it, this has been my experience of transfer windows for a long number of years now I mean yeah. the idea that I would watch four to five hours of trying to find out whether there is you know a move is going to happen on transfer but there is then you're maybe not as obsessed with Manchester United as a lot of people are with the clubs they follow in, in the Premier League yeah because <laughs> people do feel super passionate are totally obsessed with everything to do with their club of course get super excited when they see a story break that whoever mm. Moises Casado is well in this case not going to join Liverpool for example here we go yeah so somebody here we go insert name of player here we go yeah but it just there's something about how this has kind of become such a obsession I just it's mm. well can we talk it. about Ferguson's uh, hat-trick then for a moment the actual goals themselves yeah, we, we have fallen into that trap I turned on I turned on TV uh, on Sunday morning so I watched it on Saturday evening, turned on the TV just to see what they were saying on Match of the Day. Lineker yep. says, I, I smell a goal score. Mm-hmm. I smell a goal score here. But even before I got to turn on the Match of the Day that I'd recorded, I turned on the TV and the first thing that greeted me, because it was still on Sky Sports, was Ferguson's hat-trick goal yeah, again. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is just, I'm fucking loving all this. This is amazing <laughs> stuff. Uh, the second goal in particular, though, was just brilliant. Yeah. so good. There was a great shot of it from behind the goal and you see the fans at the, the far side. Ferguson gets on the ball, spins, starts going forward and all the fans start rising up, mm. ready to get the best angle they can to see him curl it because <laughs> everyone knows he's going to curl it into the goals. At this stage, it was just phenomenal stuff. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, Newcastle kind of made a mess of that one as well, to be fair, because mm. it was like, how does he have so much space and time? Because he kind of turned, like, in a fairly leisurely way. It yeah. wasn't like he... No, he, crazy defending, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, Newcastle had kind of, 
Dan Byrne was playing centre back because Botman got injured in the last game, and he just uh, dropped back at exactly the moment that Ferguson decided to also drop well back mm. from his from his direction of play into this massive space that opened up between the Newcastle midfield and their retreating defence. Ball was passed through to him by Gilmore, I think, and he turns and he just had so much space to look up and go, well. Actually, I can kind of. I think I can score kind of easily here. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks. So I'm a easy. long way out, but I think this isn't going to be that difficult for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. And then the third, third one, he just. I kind of expected him to score again. You know, mm. like, even though he's he's kind of surrounded by players, he's just, he's obviously going to try and do something here. Mm. And then it flies in off. Uh, yeah. This is a legitimately exciting sure. moment in like the history of Irish footballers in the Premier League, though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like it's. Like, I'm struggling to, to think of a of a Saturday afternoon that I've enjoyed more. Just sitting down and watching Evan Ferguson score oh, a hat trick yeah, as a teenager, I mean, like it's just it feels like we've been waiting forever for somebody to come along and even compare with Robbie Keane. Mm. And now we've got somebody who has us thinking is. Is this guy going to put Robbie Keane in the shade altogether? I will say it is quite reminiscent. That's the last time I felt as excited about an mm. Irish footballer, certainly an Irish forward in the Premier League, was in Robbie Keane's early days when he was when he's just absolutely electric. Yeah, he really was. Didn't yeah. get a, didn't get a hat trick as a teenager, not quite. No, one or two braces, if I recall correctly. <laughs> Did you see? You saw the list of the three of the Irish players who have scored hat tricks in the Premier League. Oh yeah, there's one extremely random one which you might be a while. Uh, did you see? Uh, I only saw incorrect answers, but... Oh, no, wait. Leon Best is on this Le- list. Leon well, that's Best. the hard yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, John Walters? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Nicely done. And Robbie Keane. Yeah. John Walters, Leon yeah. Best, and Robbie Keane. So there you go. Um, so, yeah, it was it was good. But again, that yeah, that sort of... I just it, I just find it weird how the the kind of whole spectacle now just seems to be mm-hmm. who who has the money, who's spending it, how much is this player worth, as opposed to just, you know... Enjoy his, enjoy him at Brighton, yeah. And how, he's, he's also at the best club for himself at the moment. He's, mm. he's actually got maybe the best manager, the, certainly the manager with the freshest ideas in the Premier League. Yeah, just, there's nobody better to be playing for at the moment, I would say, than Roberto De Zerbi. He's ab- it's absolutely perfect. That he, and De Zerbi always praises him. He doesn't really hold back. He's, he can become one of the best, the top scorer in Europe. He said after this game, so he obviously knows. Well, he's, he's in his salesman role. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. this is all part of it. Unfortunately, we should also mention just in the short term, there was a, you know maybe you could have taken him off after the hat trick goal, Roberto. <laughs> you know he did stay on there for a few. You took made a double sub at seventy seven minutes, but you left Evan on there. Got a bit of a knock. He was tapping that knee a little bit. Yeah, see, hopefully this he's is, all right for Thursday. This is the thing, you know, like. Uh, I mean, that, that's one of the sad things, actually, reading the, some of the Owen stuff from 25 years ago. And um, and you see, when he scored a hat-trick, this, the first one was against Sheffield Wednesday. This was the, he was, so he was 18, just kind of turned 18, and was the youngest player, he still is the youngest player to, to do that. It was like a shambolic three-all draw, you know, like a brilliant young player scores hat-trick, but you also can see three goals to Sheffield Wednesday. Um <laughs> And he, it was like uh, a few days after he'd made his England debut. So he played his first match for England or a friendly against Chile or something in the, in like the midweek. Played then against Sheffield Wednesday, scored a hat-trick and was going to play against Middlesbrough in like a Coca-Cola Cup game on in midweek. And, and they're saying, Evans, Roy Evans, the day Liverpool manager, even says at the time, well, you know, uh, we didn't anticipate him playing this much, you know, time on the pitch we thought he'd be on the bench a bit more but you know he's a tough man to leave out you'd have to be a brave man to leave him out certainly braver than me <laughs> and you're just thinking oh if only 
there had been someone a bit braver there, mm-hmm. you know, because Barney Owen would be would was like you know very like a confrontationally uh, abrasive, verging on abusive to, <laughs> to to you know Evans if he would say Michael, I think we might leave you on the bench. <laughs> you know, he just wouldn't. He's just like, why? I'm the best player. You know, this mm-hmm. is stupid. Um, but they just played him and played him and played him until like a year after this. His hamstrings just snapped. And well, then it. it's very good news for Republic of Ireland fans, Ken, that Brighton have signed Ansu Fati in the last week of the Premier League of mm. the transfer window. They also signed Joe Pedro. Joe Pedro, their record signing, I think. So they've actually got quite a few. I was I was getting a bit worried as to why he's not starting enough games yeah, so far. No, but it's 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 good, you know. It it's good. it's it actually good because I'm I think that he's he's gonna he's gonna play a lot. They know they know that he's like probably their best yeah. forward, but. Um, this is the only thing really that can mm. go wrong at this point. The you injury, know? so he had a couple last year, but he seemed to bounce. They got to protect their thing. investment. See, he did. Yeah. Ha- he did have a couple already. Yeah, yeah. the Fabinho tackle, and then there was another one. Did, was it the one he picked up in the Ireland game? No, there was one when he was trying to. He was uh, it's Chelsea. Yeah, he was steaming in for a header. Oh he yeah. Foul from yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's that's a couple of like you know nasty little injuries already. So yeah. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. No, 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 no. Where are we? So yeah, Newcastle. Not a bad, not a good day for them again. You know. Um, yeah. Well, look, we talked about, we talked enough uh, last week. You know, the, the international breaks coming at a good time. Good time. For um, you. So the big game yesterday was the the Arsenal. Arsenal. They did it, but it was close. So doesn't look like it was close on the scoreboard, but. This was close. Yeah. Um, Arsenal don't really look like they did last year. Not yet. They don't really. They don't have. They don't have the kind of fluency that they had. Certainly not in the first. You know, the first half of last season they were brilliant. They, they're nowhere near that at the moment. Um, now, you know, one man's identity crisis is another's tactical flexibility. <laughs> you would have heard, I'm sure, at this stage, Mikel Arteta's comments maybe if maybe you haven't heard them on i will go on why don't we play them this was Mikel arteta on friday i guess as he previewed the game and people were sort of saying oh, man, Mikel, we seem a bit kind of like there's a lot of shopping and changing you know what about four three three four four three fucking three Mikel? <laughs> you know is there anything to be said for for four three bloody three and uh, this was his comment every morning i come from my house to colney sometimes i leave at six I need to go in the windscreen because it's icy. And at 6 o'clock, normally, I go Finsley Road and then A41 because it's faster. Now, Finsley Road is 20 miles an hour, so sometimes I take a back door. But then I go on the M25. But depending if it's a school ride, and that time, I take one exit. If it's after 7 o'clock, I take a different exit. And then I go. And one day I have a flat tire. What do I do? I have to replace it. Maybe I take a different road because the garage is there. So every game is a different story, guys. Has he heard of Google Maps? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a vibes man. He's a vibes man when it comes to the I'm feeling the A25 this yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, that always... That always works out badly, doesn't it? It's like changing kids at the supermarket or whatever. Mm. Like, oh, fuck. He doesn't fall into the trap many of us do, though. I'll just go the way I know. Yeah, yeah, even though somebody's told me there's a much faster way with less traffic, I'll just I'll just go the way I know. Not not for Mikel Arteta. You should have an option in Google Maps to just be like, I don't care about the tolls. Just if 
keep me on a motorway for as long as possible. And if that's 10 extra minutes, it's grand. At least I don't even have to think when I'm on the motorway. Yeah. Anyway, listen, we've, like, we've taken a digression. Well, that was, that was Arteta, I suppose, illustrating by means of parable that you, you know, sometimes there's more than one way to skin a cat mm-hmm. in that today not very often used phrase. Mm. You know, people don't maybe skin cats <laughs> as often as they used to in the old days. Hopefully not. Uh, but apparently there is more than one way to do it. And it's similar if football is like that. So, uh, but, you know, at some point it surely has to involve playing better than Arsenal have been doing. Um, the one really good piece of play they produced in the game, I thought, was actually the, the move for the equaliser. That was brilliant. Um, but th- that was through, that didn't happen at any other point, you know. Then there was a set piece. I liked the Jesus' goal. Just a little bit of composure. Well, yeah, the, the Jesus. It was great. It was a brilliant finish, and it was a brilliant moment because it's like it's rare that you get that like protracted. We're all everyone knows this is probably going to be a goal, and the whole place can has got like ten seconds to go mad, and then he finishes it off the way that he did. It was, I mean, it, and 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 to complete that sort of turnaround, like it was incredible. Um, so that was great, and they and Jesus, I think they they missed. Although Enkedia, I didn't think it was bad. Enkedia was was involved in that move that I mentioned the the um, the thing the, the equalizing. equalizing goal. Um, I, yeah, I didn't think he had a bad game, but like Jesus is obviously a, a yeah. better, and they need him to stay fit. Um, the, the outstanding the thing that ended up making the difference for them was the same thing that made the difference at Palace, which was their uh, clever work. Uh, off the ball in set piece situations. So against Palace, you might remember it was Thomas Partey, who's who had the job of blocker mm. uh, at the edge of the box, which allowed I think it wasn't in Enkedia who ran in and, and got a penalty. Um, and this time it was Gabriel on Johnny Evans. Mm. Johnny Evans, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> got a text message from uh, Mark Horgan. Uh, literally, like as Johnny Evans is running out of the field, holy shit, Johnny Evans is still at Man United, and I'm like, well, he actually left for eight years ago, but he's back. <laughs> he is back. Uh, you haven't just had a like a senior moment. All professional footballers should, if they need, just go back and train with their old club. Thierry Henry did this. It's like, oh, you're actually still pretty good. Robert Perez. Mm. It happens all the time. He didn't actually play for them though. If they're in Pires. a little bit of a crisis moment, suddenly, oh, hang on, this guy could be worth a short term contract. Yep. Well, Evans and understands the club. This is like the Leicester City central defensive partnership from 2017 yeah. that somehow Manchester United were playing yeah, with at the Emirates. Like, it's kind of mad. it's mad. Like, but uh, Gar- this was Gabriel. I-, I thought it was definitely a foul. I agree with tonight. But you get away with these off the ball fouls, mm-hmm. and Arsenal are making quite clever use of that. I mean, if you know, if they're not, if if this never gets punished, and you can open up space for a player to be unmarked, then mm. do it until they stop you doing it. So, well, listen, you know, I mean, Declan Rice has often been uh, would like to be called a quarterback, and a quarterback is is only is only as good as his O line. So, you know, congrats and kudos to the to how they how they set up that play it was just beautiful beautifully done what a show what a show it was though the Michael Orr of this particular <laughs> scenario I mean, is whoever that was who was doing the blocking rice rice baby yes <laughs> Jesus can we hear that again rice rice baby yeah yeah um, the, the vanilla ice was playing at the end and and Declan Rice came out to talk to what was match of the day I think and um this happened. Yeah, it was it was prime vanilla ice that <laughs> Fe- featuring myself. Um, 
<laughs> the was, featuring myself there, but at the end was just there was a little pause as yeah, well because yeah. he was th- he was clearly thinking I'm not sure whether to say this yeah this I think this might be too much for, even mm-hmm. for me and then he's just like no I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going <laughs> to say it so he did do uh, Muller Rice ad in case people missed that one at the time yeah Vanilla Rice Rice yeah he's I mean, or, sorry Rice Rice Baby who could have known there was such untold commercial potential in, in a man's name yeah it's 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 incredible stuff I mean Pat Rice must be just <laughs> absolutely good at looking at this like, it wasn't like this in my idea Pat Rice doesn't have that accent no uh, he's, he's from, from Belfast Northern, Northern Ireland <laughs> uh, <laughs> although I don't know I don't know what accent he used on the training used on the training ground maybe mm-hmm. it was a Dermot Gallagher situation but um yeah, it, so so obviously it was it was a massive win for us. I mean, I'm saying they haven't really played well, but there's still time. The the worrying thing at the moment was obviously Havertz and his. Oh yeah, like I mean the when he missed the the ball that time. I mean it's got to be a goal. You know the, this was a you know in the first half, and he just he just he controlled the ball and then like flicked his foot at it and completely missed it. It was just this an astonishing. You, you so seldom will see a mistake like that in Premier League at, the, at this point. So it was like okay. This is weird. And then, obviously, it was him. He he, he set up the, the United goal. It was actually 1-2 between Ericsson and Havertz. Ericsson headed it straight to Havertz. Havertz passed it uh, as Ericsson ran out. Ericsson took it, ran, played a really good ball. Rashford then scores. I didn't think Ben White was great there either. Like, you know what Marcus Rashford is going to try to do. But if you watch what Ben White does, he... You know, Rashford obviously wants to Cut in and get onto his right foot and, and shoot for the far post. Like, this is like, well, I suppose he scored on the near posts in the same game last season, but that was a slightly different decision. But you know what he wants, right? So don't make it easy for him. And if you look at Ben White, he just comes across and across and across until Rashford, until Rashford's like, okay, now I can go the other way. And White, ha- White has to sort of spin around 180 degrees. Then he does ex- the, the defender, behind, is it Gabriel or Saliba, doing exactly the same moves. Like they're literally, it's like they're mirroring each other's moves. Um, it wasn't good. But Harvard's was just having a terrible game. Then obviously he was involved in this penalty instance, which I was a bit surprised that they overturned it just because they'd given yeah. it. Well, isn't the whole thing that they they kept saying this year is we don't want to re-referee games when they don't want to correct a wrong decision. Well, they, I mean, okay, they obviously just Well, they kept saying sometimes. he's called for the review himself in commentary. The referee apparently was driving this review by right. the sounds of things. So maybe he, he had made the call and might have immediately had a bit of doubt, then asked, what do they think? They said, go and have a look. And then it all happened very quickly. But I thought there was, there was, there was a, enough of a contact that, it was a tricky one to see being overturned, but it was mm. overturned. So it was a tough day for Havertz. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't good, but uh, there was some advice for him from Mikel Arteta after. So this is Arteta, who's, who now speaks exclusively in parables in, in, uh, to make his teachings accessible to these uh, players. This is, how, this is apparently how he's handling Havertz's confidence crisis. Is it coming for Kai Havertz? It just feels like, I don't know if he's run over a cat or something. Every little mistake that he makes, obviously the penalty thing, he gives the ball away. Maybe if someone else gives it away, it doesn't go in, but it feels like because it's him, it does. I don't know. I said to him yesterday, you know, when, when things are a little bit hard at the beginning, you know, when I met my wife uh, at the beginning, it was hard, you know, to, to conquer her. And I had to try and message and go and go. And at the end when she said... Yes, we want to be together. It's, it's beautiful if that's a yes in the first day, you know, you, it's not that great. So it's good, but I think the crowd was really good with him today. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk a question. What was it about the Arteta charm that won the day with your wife? 
being persistent, I think, <laughs> and determined. I think that was it. That's how you win the dating game. The charm. Don't take no for an answer. I think we threw that one in the bin about 30 years ago. I wonder what kind of podcast Mikel Arteta is listening to in his car on the way to um, training every day. You know, <laughs> well, he's barely any time to listen to a podcast. He's, he's there in two minutes. He's mastered <laughs> all the various routes. Um, well, look, hopefully Kai Havertz takes that on board and, and, you know, applies it to his football and, you know, returns after the international break a more a more confident uh, player. But he will need to start doing a bit better here because this, this, this kind of thing becomes a problem for a manager. You spend uh, $65 million on him, which is not like even a- any more an outrageous amount of money to spend. Although he's one of the biggest signings in Arsenal's history. But like, mm. if if the performance doesn't quite take off, like it's a, because with Arsenal, the margins are so tight, you know, with City, you're just winning and winning and winning. Maybe... Maybe that won't keep happening, but like you, you kind of can't bet against City. We'll continue to do that. So, can't really afford to drop points. You, you drop four points in like you know October, and it's like oh, it's like it's lights out. You know, we, you'll we still know. be looking at those four points in yeah. you know April. So, th- so that's it, it. Creates a it creates pressure, and um, you got to justify the. I mean, look at Ten Hag's situation with Anthony. You know what I mean, Anthony, who. Um, they, it was interesting actually. Um, their analysis of him on Match of the Day was pointing out. I mean, he obviously didn't have much impact on the game, but I thought it was good that they highlighted why that was, you know, in the sense that, like, he's he's here, he's standing here deliberately on the touchline waiting for a pass which never comes, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, he also produced a couple of moments of outrageous skill within about a minute of each other in the first half where he took one ball that was pinged out to him, might have been Casimir, whacked the ball out. And just absolutely killed it with his first touch. Yeah. And then a moment or two later, he did one of his drag back things that he does quite a lot, but destroyed a couple of defenders doing it. And I don't know if there was, oh, there was no end product. In fact, he might have had a fresh air after that, yeah. but which maybe sums it up a little bit. There, there were moments where he said, this guy's as skillful as any player in the Premier League, but just end product again, end product. Yeah. Well, he needs to kick the ball into the goal or kick it to somebody else who kicks it into the goal. That's, yeah. how, you, you take that. that's how you get ahead in the game. That's product. Um, but. But uh, the the thing that then happened after the game, I mean, and the, the other thing that the, I thought the best thing about the game from United's point of view was Hoyland when he came on, I thought was really good. Mm. And especially, I mean, he was involved in a few different moments, but the combination of like, I, I thought he also should have had a penalty for the guy. I mean, we, we were all here. We were all here last week talking about, um, you know, what Alexander Arnold should have been sent off for like brushing the shoulder of Anthony Gordon. But Gabriel can <laughs> grab. Uh, Hoyland, you know, they didn't even sort of replay this. I thought it was remarkable. Like, I mean, how is that not a foul? Anyway, uh, it wasn't, but he, I thought he looked like um, he has a lot of qualities that they're missing from their current squad. and Like a directness? Yes, and just like a, a willingness to kind of chase and be forceful. Um, but also that clever touch for the, uh, to set up, was it Bruno or Casemiro who ended up playing the through ball, the quick, pass to Garnacho for the ultimately disallowed goal I thought was really was uh, was really sharp you know what I mean he's not just kind of a guy who um, can run around and charge into people you know you, you could see in that moment so I think he, he does have uh, potential and he could you know help, help to really improve things um, but the, the other thing that happened which was really surprising 
Um, after the game, just in the press conference, the the fact that Jaden Sancho wasn't in the squad was raised in the press conference. You know, is he basically is he injured? Kind of thing. I think I think the question was, no, no, he wasn't selected because of performances in training. You have to he had a certain standard in training, and yeah, so we didn't leave him. In, we, he's not in the squad today. You know, yeah. This was what Ten Hag said, but then Sancho goes and, and posts a note, like you know, a, a screen grabs a, a a note and puts it on Twitter, and he says. Please don't believe everything you read. I will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue. I've conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. All I want to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team. I respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what. I'm just looking at that going, what are you thinking? What is, what is, how could you possibly have thought it was a good idea to post a message like that? Right? Don't, don't believe everything you read. It's your manager who said it. It's not like Tony Cascarino mm. has come out with some comments on TalkSport. You know, it's like, this is like your actual coach sits there and says his performances in training weren't good enough. You can't, re- that's not like a don't believe everything you read situation. I mean, to, to kind of dispute that now you're saying, okay, you're basically saying Ten Hag is, you know, not giving an accurate version of events here. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Maybe you, maybe you think he's not. I'm still not sure why you think it's a good idea to say it publicly. As regards being a scapegoat, I don't really... A scape, when has he been scapegoated for anything? Well, Ten Hag, Ten Hag has said stuff about him in the past. Remember, he was off for a few months last season. Well, this is And Ten Hag brought up this these physical but also mental issues. And nobody could be quite sure what he was talking about there. I don't know how Sancho talked about whatever issues he, he has or hasn't got. But I, I presume this is all. It's it, it, it's been a very messy time for Sancho yeah. at the club. But I presume that these are the comments that might be playing on his mind. Well, Jane, yeah. But the, in, in the case of the the thing that you're referring to, from from my uh, perspective on that, Ten Hag gave him sort of time off to, de- you know, deal with personal issues. You know what I mean? It didn't seem, and it seemed to me as though the attitude from the club towards him was quite supportive in the sense of. You know, it's okay. Take some time. Mm. Um, I didn't. That that to me didn't seem like a scapegoating. Like when he when he talks about scapegoating, I mean maybe he means this is only happening in you know inside the group somehow. But like publicly, I, I don't feel as though people have been pointing the finger at Jaden Sancho. Um, you know, I, I've never got that impression from Ten Hag. Obviously, this comment about the training, that that is pretty direct. You know what I mean? Like he's basically... No, it's very scathing. Yeah, it's very yeah, specific. Yeah. That's scathing. But like, pff, I, I don't know. I mean, Ten Hag, I guess, has to, has to judge that. I'm sure we'll find out more about this. But why he would then... He basically... The message is basically, there is stuff going on you don't know about. But I don't want to talk about that. Let's just concentrate on fighting for the badge. And you're like... <laughs> no, it's not helpful to his career, obviously, to take on the manager publicly. You know... But uh, it also does, you, you can't, you can't just completely dismiss it either. Like, I mean, you know, how many other players feel like that? Like, they haven't had a good start to the season. I don't know. Um, it it wasn't good, uh, and it doesn't bode well, I don't I think. I just find it, it's remarkable how a player of such talent has had so little impact. Yeah. Not it, the first time we've ever seen it, but it, it, this is a pretty stark example of it. It just hasn't happened. And, and it's not as though you can say, you know, there are often examples of players who, it's like, why isn't he putting this guy in? Mm. You know, everyone is like, well, why is this guy not playing? You know, and it's, it's just not the case with Sancho. Like, you barely notice he's not in the squad. You know, it's like, when does he... 
he hasn't really ever done anything. So, um, yeah. Uh, also posting, no well, no, not posting notes. Posting on the internet was uh, Thiago Silva, who, uh, <laughs> who takes issue with the talk CFC uh, on Instagram, I guess. This won't go down, Will, says talk CFC. But I think it's time to drop Thiago Silva. This is after Chelsea lost to Nottingham Forest, like mm. basically the only team that has had as much squad turnover as them. You know, <laughs> uh, playing him is becoming a problem because we have to play back five to shoehorn him in. Playing four at the back will allow us to be better going forward. I don't think we'll suffer much at the back. Nothing but respect to Thiago, but I think we'd be better off without him at the minute. <laughs> and Thiago Silva replies, if you look closely at the game, we are playing, we are playing with a line of four, my friend. But there's no problem in assuming that I'm also responsible for the defeat. Put the pressure on me. No problem. Yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he's just, but yeah, actually, we are, we are playing a back four, mate. Which, which does raise the question, if, you, if you're playing a back four, why is Ben Chilwell your winger? You know, is that really, you know... You've got to cut your cloth to measure, though. You know what I mean? It's, nothing it's, against... It's a player shortage. Nothing against Ben Chilwell, but you did spend a billion pounds on new players, <laughs> and you shouldn't be playing Ben Chilwell as a winger if that's you know in in that circumstance. So it just uh, was a bit strange. Um, what was the other things? I'm just a couple of small things. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the weather for Paris is, is going to be like 31 degrees. I mean, it's 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 forecast to be 31 degrees at the time of the kickoff. Yeah, that does sound a little bit, a little bit stifling. All right. Well, you I'm know, sure we, Ferguson can still score a goal or two in warm conditions. <laughs> well, we had, you know, we had, we had the big warm weather training camp and stuff for Greece, and it turned out actually not to be that hot <laughs> on the night. And uh, here we are. This is going to be like, I mean, it's the it, the forecast at the moment is for like for three days of 30 plus degrees in like sweltering mm. Paris heat. So. Yeah, but of course the French have to have to deal with it too. Okay. Yeah, they do. I think they'll be okay. Uh, and I saw that Andrew Amabamadeli has been called into the squad. Remember we were talking last week, mm, Sam seems a bit, why is he not in? Well, since then he's moved to Forest mm -hmm. for 20 million, making him, I guess, one of the most expensive Irish players. There I am doing it, but I suppose I was talking about his price. Uh, uh, now he's in. So uh, this may also be related to the fact that if you watch the Sheffield United Everton game John Egan kind of took a knock in that game and yeah I mean he played the game um, but maybe that's good maybe he's going to have after effects for that so they've brought in on um, Mabadeli um, Everton maybe I'm saying yeah Everton are, Everton are doomed but I'm looking at the league and there are still uh, four teams that haven't managed to win a game yet and Everton are only one of those teams um, the guy Beto, the striker uh, they've signed, actually looked kind of useful. You know, like useful for a team like Everton really need, like in terms of a, um, a guy who can run and hold up the ball and all this sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe they, um, maybe there's still a limited chance on after four games. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's a winning mentality. I can see it in their eyes. They've got glazed eyes. Got glazed eyes. Glazed eyes. What I said to him at the end, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, I said, are you ready to win a World Cup? Because we're in it to win it. They've got to trust me, I'm taking these guys into battle. Yeah. And I'm doing my own stapling. Look, we're not getting carried away, but we're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. Does a, a struggling salesman start turning up on a bicycle? He turns up in a newer car, Deception. So what becomes of you, my love? Along the way, we're going to have fun. I try and laugh several times a day. <laughs> a sergeant major spends all his time training his men to be killers and, and make sure that they arrive for meetings on time and dressed in the right way. He doesn't polish his own boots. The bosses are panicking. They're going, oh, cut back. Non-negotiable. The way we play football is non-negotiable. It was a story of Republic of Ireland internationals past and present in the Premier League this weekend with Evan Ferguson scoring his first career hat-trick and our old pal Declan Rice making his first major intervention as an Arsenal player. Arseblog's Andrew Mangan is with us today. Hey, hey Andrew, how are you? Hi Owen, how are you? Good, good, good. And we're joined by Lars Sivertson. Good to chat to you again, Lars. Hey, how are you doing, Lars? How's it going? Let's start with the former Republic of Ireland international, Andrew Declan Rice. He must have been pretty thrilled with that moment yesterday. Yeah, a big moment for him and obviously a big moment for, for Arsenal to, to look like we'd lost the game and then to turn it around in, in injury time was, was big. But I think Declan Rice was, was very good for Arsenal. He has been very good for Arsenal so far this season. But in the absence of Thomas Partey uh, for this game, he was asked to, to anchor that midfield. I think it, uh, he did it really well. And then to come up with a, a sort of a clutch moment in injury time, it's a, it's a great way to get your first goal for a new club. Did you really think he was that good? I, well, uh, it was one of those things where you're, you're glad for sending messages privately, but was just uh, <laughs> involved in an exchange about how bad he'd been in the seconds before he scored the winning goal in the 96th minute. I don't. Maybe I was a bit caught up in the emotion of the game because it was uh, it was a bit helter skelter. Obviously, after United had that uh, that goal disallowed, but I, you know, generally I thought he was good in that in that role, that deeper lying role. Uh, certainly, won a few tackles, particularly in the first half. Um, but no, I, I've been pleased with what he's done since he's arrived at the club, and he's had to play in different positions and play in different scenarios. If you think you go back to the uh, the game against Crystal Palace. When Arsenal went down to 10 men, he was exceptional defensively. You know, he slotted in really well. And I think he, he's looked very comfortable since he's arrived. So, um, you know, I will wear my Arsenal hat on this one. And uh, I thought he was good yesterday. But uh, I guess if you're watching it uh, a little more objectively, you might have a different opinion. Was this the type of game, Andrew, that Arsenal might have found a way not to win towards the end of last season, do you think? Possibly. You know, I, th- I don't think Arsenal have been brilliant this season by any means. I think there's a a lack of fluidity and a lack of fluency in some of the football because there have been changes, uh, injuries, strange formations maybe you might say. But I think if you're looking for a positive, it's that Arsenal have been able to take 10 points from 12 undefeated in the first four games 
uh, and probably should have won all four games as well. They they should not have dropped the two points against Fulham. And I think if you're looking for a positive, it's the fact that they have got those points on the board while not playing their best. And I think previous iterations of Arsenal would definitely have dropped points in 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 games like this with that with those sort of performance levels. I think they've got away, and maybe it's hard to quantify whether it's character or mentality, but they've they're finding a way to get points that definitely in other seasons they would not have got. Lars, are Arsenal going to put it up to Manchester City in the same way they did last season? Do you think, based on what we've seen so far? I think it's very difficult. Uh, I think, as Andrew just mentioned, the drop points against Fulham are a bit bad. I mean, we know, looking at how City have performed in the last few seasons, you can afford to drop points in about sort of around 10 games throughout the season. Uh, That's roughly sort of where City are in terms of the number of games they don't win. Uh, so if you have 10 games over the 38 where you can realistically afford to not win, you, you don't want to use one of those and fool them at home. That, that's not ideal. Um, but, but I think the point is, with some changes having been made to the team, they're not at their fluid best yet, but managing to get the points uh, on, on the board at a reasonable clip, that Fulham game aside, is is significant, I guess, in the sense. And I just thought this game was... Can I say this? I just didn't think it was a very good game. No. I, 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 I was sat there like staring at the screen like I should be really into this. This game really matters. And I'm really curious about both these teams and how But just find myself uh, to, 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 to reference one of the audio. But I've got glazed eyes a few times. Like, I, just, I can't really. I thought it was entertaining. It was a fair bit of drama. You'd, you'd late goals. You'd disallowed goals. You'd no, no, that was, all that end, kind of stuff. The end was amazing. The like, quality on, on display for me probably wasn't what you'd expect. But you don't necessarily watch games just for pure. Or technical no, quality. I, I guess that's true, but I, I think it comes to you know Ericsson Hogg said a lot of strange stuff after the game, but I think what he said about his team, about them being more compact and the distances and the team being better and stuff like that, I, I think that's probably true. I think United did a better job stifling Arsenal here than I thought they would. Certainly when I saw the lineup, I, I saw the lineup and I thought, well, <laughs> gotta sort of open my betting app of choice here because this is going to go one way, isn't it? I, you know the the. Casemiro Eriksson double pivot uh, with Bruno Fernandes kind of running around and with a slightly sort of makeshift back four. I mean, that that could get really ugly. And it didn't. And I think that's testament to, you know, some kind of resilience in, in United and Arsenal, of course, still being a little bit of a work in progress. But I think it matters that they got the win, obviously, in terms of the points that I just droned on about, but also in terms of just building team spirit and and the players, like in the Community Shield, I guess, having that sort of late win that things coming together for them in a way they maybe thought for a minute it wouldn't. Yeah. I think that does... I, I'm a little bit suspicious of the way we talk about winning mentality. I mean, we tend to just apply it to anyone who wins things and say, oh, look, winning mentality. <laughs> but, I, but I do believe in like the psychology of moments like that, of how that can bind a group together and, and foster belief. And the next time they need a goal in extra time, they'll kind of remember in their bones that they did manage it the last time. And I think that stuff really matters. I think it's a really valuable result for Arsenal. Yeah, no, and the turnaround was was incredible. I mean, for, to go from the Garnacho goal and prolonged celebrations to the way that game actually finished for both teams. Yeah, what's a, not to love about that? Except for Man United fans, obviously. No, it was more the preceding eighty nine minutes that uh, that I didn't think was was the, great. The swapping of goals in the first half wasn't didn't do it for you. That was yeah. There was there was a sudden flurry of of goals, but uh, I thought a lot of it was great. I mean, the reason that I said that I was thinking Rice hadn't played very well, Andrew, was just I suppose with Rice, you're always going to he's always going to be compared to the price tag, uh, which is just a fact of life when mm. you're you price know. price baby. but I I was looking at him thinking is he really doing much here you know in the sense of yeah like he's kind of 
shuttling around at the base of the midfield and generally keeping the ball. Although he did have that hair-raising moment when he lost it at the edge of the box, Casemiro. That was the move that ended with the Hoyland non-penalty. And, it, you know, that could have been a real... Uh, it could have been a total disaster, you know, that ending. So these are the kind of margins. But uh, but the other thing that sort of strikes strikes you watching uh, Rice play and kind of passing the ball around in front of the team, it's like, how is this guy actually one of the... like a British transfer record? And why is it... I don't know if you've got any theory as to why the, the three massive transfers, the three most expensive recent transfers in the Premier League have all been for basically players in this position, Rice, Caicedo and... Enzo Fernandez, why why are these players suddenly the gold dust that everybody is desperate to pay nine figures for? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think in Arsenal's case, it was because he's a player that they really needed, they really wanted. Um, you know, with the departure of Granit Xhaka, they had to do something in midfield, and Rice was a player that they identified very early on they put a lot of groundwork into getting that deal done i i wonder as well if it's just part of the the way the transfer market has been skewed by some of the other deals that have been done you mentioned enzo fernandez you know chelsea paying like it goes back maybe to to the mudrick thing in a way in that shakhtar so they you know they use the anthony fee as a, a marker for the mudrick fee and so everything then gets skewed in a way. Um, like if Mudrick is worth a hundred million, then, you know, is Declan Rice at a hundred million a bargain? So I don't quite know. I think part of it as well might be because some of the, the, the attacking players who normally go for those big fees, strikers, for example, and maybe we'll you'll talk about that in the context of Evan Ferguson in a while. There aren't too many of those on the market at this moment in time. So I just think this particular uh, area of the pitch has been has been the one where where teams are identifying a real need. And you know, Caicedo Rice have been high quality, consistent performers for West Ham and Brighton, and the market. Dict- dictates the price to a large extent. Lars, you said something there. You thought Ayrton Hag said a lot of weird things after the game? Well, yes. Um, he, he, got, he, he went a bit sort of uh, tinfoil hat Twitter, I thought, with talking about the angle of the offside things and stuff. That's like, you know, that's, you don't expect to hear that from an adult, really. We've seen mistakes made. You know, we, we've seen mistakes made... Um, at Arsenal, in fact, last last season, wasn't there the the famous Saka offside? I mean, you know, the, the, maybe it's not that famous. It's famous in my head, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it, why why do you think it's conspir- conspiratorial? You know, everybody thought it was onside, and then they showed a different angle, and it's like eh, he doesn't look as onside in in that photo. Is it? Why why do you think that's an outrageous thing for Madrid to say? I mean, because there there was no like. Technologically speaking, it's impossible for them to set the wrong angle. I mean, that that can't happen. I mean, what can happen is you've you got a lot of faith in technology, Lars. Yeah, exactly right. No, if that's the realm we're into, I'm kind of, I, I'm putting that, I'm filing that under tin pot nonsense. Uh, <laughs> what about the? Personally. What about the? I don't want to. Okay, let's let's not bother talking about silly uh, references. Well, that's my fault for bringing it up, really. But uh, my uh, fault for uh, following up with you. Let's all move. He also on. seemed very happy with Anthony Martial, which I thought was a bit of a rogue shout. I mean, there was, yeah. there wasn't an awful lot to enjoy from his performance. No, nah, he was. He was but but I think shy. overall, I mean, this may be me setting the bar too low for a team like Manchester United, but they've they've got a lot of stuff going on with absences in certain parts of the field and stuff. And I just remember seeing the again seeing the lineup, thinking this could get really ugly, and it didn't get really ugly, and then they nearly nicked it. So mm. I mean, that that's 
maybe that's a reason to be cheerful. I don't know. I would say that um, the performance of Hoyland when he came on was a massive positive for them. I mean, I, mm. you know, I, I don't know. You, you are um, Norwegian, Lars. Not Dan- yes. Dan- Denmark is, you know, similar to Norway, but it's not. It isn't Norway. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I wonder if you've got any uh, any extra insight into this guy because uh, just based on his his uh, his performance, I thought, wow, this guy has got exactly the kind of intensity that certainly Anthony Martial for for years you know hasn't displayed, and that you know even certainly Anthony Sancho, maybe even Rashford, you know, doesn't really show that much that kind of uh, tenacity the kind of Tevez like mm-hmm. I'm going to fight for the ball I'm going to chase the defender I'm going to try and push him over and all this kind of thing like if he can you know actually get fit and stay in the team he could be a big player for them yeah so so when this transfer happened I think there were a fair few who looked at the transfer fee and looked at his goal scoring record and went what now uh, but because that, that didn't immediately m- make sense but I think it goes a little bit to what Andrew was talking about about uh, Declan Rice and the scarcity of certain types of players. He is uh, he is a young striker who has a very nice combination of, of physical size and and power and 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 speed and runs really well. And I, I think there aren't a lot of those about. I mean, the, the, and the, that number nine position is very very sought after. And you can see why United would look at him as someone who maybe isn't proven at the highest level just yet, but who has a lot of the raw materials you want. And that you take a bet on being able to further shape him into the kind of uh, sort of a, a speedy physical reference point up front, uh, and and of course there's the obvious sort of thing, you obvious joke you can make about he's a he's a tall uh, blonde Nordic man who's who's much faster than his size would suggest and who favours his left foot. Mm-hmm. That seems to work uh, very well in Manchester. Uh, seems to be so. United want want a bit of that. But I also thought he was very positive. I mean, you have to temper your expectations a little bit. He's not. Finished article, but he has a lot of the ingredients, I think, that you want in a top striker. And and you could, if United hadn't gone in and bought him now, you could have easily imagined him scoring like 15 goals for Atalanta this autumn. And suddenly in January, the price tag would be even higher because there is a real scarcity of of those number nines on the market. We're talking about price tags here, Andrew, quite a lot. And this seems to be how football is viewed this day, uh, these days. No, no sooner had Ferguson scored his. I think it was his second goal when Rob Hawthorne in commentary in Sky Sports said, no wonder he's expected to be the next prize asset that the Vultures will be circling for. Immediately after the game, Jamie Renner said he's no doubt he's going to be the next £100 million player. So we talk about this as though, saying the example of Evan Ferguson, the most interesting thing about him is how much money Manchester United are going to pay for him in 18 months' time. Uh, Well, look, I think the way he has exploded onto the scene... uh, And, you know, he's at Brighton and Brighton have a track record of of bringing through players, developing them to a point and then selling them for huge money. And they just uh, seem to be getting more and more and more for these. I I just want want to enjoy the Brighton phase of Evan Ferguson's career, Andrew. It's such a perfect club for him to be at for so many reasons. The expectation levels aren't going to be suffocating like they'll be wherever he does go for massive money. Eventually, he's got a coach who pretty much everyone seems to think is reinventing the game who has massive faith in Ferguson, who isn't afraid to say it quite a lot, which I think is always a good sign. De Zerbi doesn't really seem to mind talking Ferguson up a little bit. He just seems like, let's let's enjoy the Brighton phase of the Evan Ferguson career for a season or two. 
Well, sure. I, I agree with you. I think it is the perfect place for him. And when I, I think people saw this summer, there was you know, rumors about clubs being interested in him. I was really pleased that he signed a, a new contract at Brighton. Like I would give him, you know, uh, appendages to have him at Arsenal at some point in the future. But I do think Brighton is a, is a great place for him. He, you know, he's, he's got everything you need at such a young age, the confidence, the physicality, the technique. Um, and I think part of that is because he is at a club where there is belief in him and there is faith in him and he will be developed. And, and like you say, Brian have this great track record of finding young players, bringing them through to the point where they are coveted by basically every other team in, in the Premier League and with strikers and nines and maybe this move towards these more physical number nines again being in vogue. He certainly fits the bill for all of that. But, you know, he he's just such fun to watch, I think. I was watching the game against um, Newcastle on, on Saturday and it was just you know, brilliant to see a young Irish player come through and, and do what he did. And uh, I think he's just going to knock it out of the park this mm. season for Brighton. Um, Lars, uh, we know that Erling Haaland scores a lot of goals. You know, he he, did, he does. He did it again on on Saturday. You know, he he scored another really? trick. Although he got a, he had a, a penalty. You know, and that kind of thing. Is he a bit, by comparison to Ferguson, though, a bit one dimensional? <laughs> I mean, you know, as as an overall football package, who do you think is is better? I, I, I'd say Holland still now, but I, it's not an unfair observation you make. I'm obviously uh, one of Alan Holland's biggest fans. Um, she is, and I may have, I may apologize to listeners who who recall this. I may have used this metaphor already, but there is something like when you watch one of the nature documentaries and, and you see an animal that looks kind of strange because it's incredibly well adapted to the one niche it has in the ecosystem. And you think, oh, that's a strange-looking animal, but it turns like it's developed like that because it has certain extreme sort of attributes that helps it survive. There is a touch of that to Alan Holland because he's extremely good at a handful of things that, that happens to be the things that enables you to score goals more than anything else. But then the other parts of his game, I'll, I'll concede, I'm sure he would as well. He's quite self-critical. Other parts of his game are, are not at the level you maybe expect from someone who we're talking about as one of the best strikers in the world. And it's entirely possible that Evan Ferguson will develop to be a more rounded uh, centre-forward than, than Alan Holland. I, th- I think that's not an unfair shout at all. If you want to talk about who you're comparing Evan Ferguson to, I thought that second goal was such a Harry Kane goal. Uh, you know, you could you could do the sort of AI-generated face swap and the sort of way he picked it up, turned, and took this up pretty early from range in, in the bottom corner. It, it, was, it was just Harry Kane all over. And, and maybe he's a little bit more rounded like that, for sure. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, you know, Ireland are playing France this week in Paris. So we've got this sort of third wheel in the Ferguson, Holland, um, you know, Messi, Ronaldo successor situation. <laughs> this, this is Kylian Mbappe, who's been getting paid a lot of money over in Paris. It's, it's his town. We're going over there. I wouldn't say confidence levels or expectation levels are, are super high right now. Boosted marginally by Ferguson's We do have this guy who's, you know, he's he's pretty good. Do you have um, uh, any advice or, or learnings as to how a small international team can incorporate or best make use of a potential superhero centre-forward? Not at all, because we haven't really managed to do it yet. I mean, he, 
<laughs> we have we have too much else going on with our national team in Norway for it to really come together. I mean, Holland has been has been scoring goals, and um, I don't know Evan Ferguson enough. I think it, it helps if you have a player who has the mentality of of understanding when he goes into these games that he's not going to get the service he's used to, and and just kind of not being an arse about that. I mean, Holland is very he's very good at keeping his frustration in check when he when he plays for Norway because he just doesn't get the passes he's used to. We haven't really been able to do it we haven't been successful really with him yet that result against scotland in the summer was just devastating to our our qualification chances so uh really no advice i i can offer there have better defenders than norway does i guess is my is my advice karen carney mentioned after they spoke to him on sky that he seems very coachable andrew in that he had explained that at half time he was told, listen, you've got to start driving at them more. The space there, there are more things you can do in this game, even though you've had a decent first half and scored a goal. And he immediately goes, gets the ball, spins, turns, drives and curls the ball into the bottom corner. As a, mm. as a, a young player, you're, you're looking for a lot of things and we know he has a lot of them. We know how level-headed he seems to be, um, how, how self-assured he seems to be, physically impressive, all that kind of stuff. But if he really is as coachable as he seems to be, that's got to be a pretty good strength as well, particularly in the modern game when as we've been saying, you, you can't, well, unless you're Erling Haaland, you can't just stand up there scoring goals. No, I mean, I, I think the, the, the combination of high talent and a, a measure of humbleness is a, good, is a good combination. You think of someone like Bakayo Saka, you know, who's the same at Arsenal, who is this exceptional talent, but who, you know, is open to learning what the manager is looking for him to do on, on the pitch. And obviously, if Ferguson is he's 18, you know, uh, he may develop... Uh, his own opinions in time but I think at 18 you have to be ready to listen to what your coach is telling you what your manager is telling you and the other thing is you've got to have the confidence and the ability to pull off those instructions as well which he, he definitely does I think that second goal even if you could look at the the defending from a Newcastle perspective just the the drive uh, and the willingness to make something happen uh, from Ferguson there it's a really exceptional goal and um, yeah look he's he's still so young and has a lot to learn but but when you see what he's doing and how he's doing it and you know against the teams that he's doing it these are I think that the physical aspect of his uh, of his game is is really important you know at 18 he looks I don't want to say he's like Wayne Rooney but Wayne Rooney looked like a man at 16 and Evan Ferguson looks absolutely like a man at, at 18. Some players take a little more time to develop and, and that can uh, mean their progress isn't quite as quick. So uh, it is very exciting to see him. That goal, I thought, was, that second goal was quite Rooney-ish actually. He's been, he's been compared to just about every great striker in the Premier League over the last few days. Listen, brilliant stuff. Andrew, thanks so much. Lars, brilliant. Thanks a million. Thank you, guys. We're going to talk Ireland now. Uh, delighted to say Ken Early from the Second Captains podcast, podcast uh, joins us. Just have a bit of balance, Ken. Martin, Martin O'Neill's record. Martin, Martin O'Neill. Hang on a minute. Did he get to the Euros? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Martin O'Neill's record in the last year. He got to the Euros. He got to he got to Euros. Yeah, he got to the Euros. He got to the Euros. Yes. Yeah, he got to the Euros. Do you do you um, think you're going to get to the Euros with Stephen Kenny, Ken? Did he get to the Euros, Ken? Well, I mean, he'd have to be in charge for the for the next Euros. I mean, we did have a playoff to get to the Euros thanks to finishing bottom of the Nations League under Martin O'Neill. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, literally, we finished bottom of the group. 
me and Mike and we're just sitting back and really enjoying this. I know. I just got some popcorn real. I can't listen. I can't listen to this rubbish talked about. I just can't. I can't. Ken, thank you very much for coming on and, and standing up to grumpy chops in the corner. It's been much appreciated. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to talk to everyone, especially Chris. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Lars Siverton really embraced the notion that Evan Ferguson is potentially a better footballer than Erling Haaland. Ken, which I thought might be a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I was no. surprised how much um, credit he gave that suggestion, actually. <laughs> Maybe he's just being polite. No, 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 no. I think I don't think Lars would be overly polite just for the sake of it. He seemed mm. to seem to take that one on board. The mm. other news, Ken, to bring it back to commodification, oh, yeah. is just how commodified does Mo Salah need to become for Liverpool to sell him over the next few days to Aliti Had? I think it's just a question of money, really. You know, if they if they are offering, it depends on how much they're offering. But up to 150 million, as things stand, uh, as of late last week. See the problem. With with sort of selling at that price is like why can't you pay more? You know we know we all know mm. that you can. So if that's your opening gambit. Then then yeah you might you know do I hear more? Uh, I think they would sell this week though. I think they would. Yeah, I think with no way of replacing. Yes, I think they would. Uh, when I say they, I mean the owners. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Klopp has been Klopp but, looking like a bit of a mug. No, if Klopp they, would not. If Klopp they do would not them. be happy, and obviously the fans would be angry and all this kind of thing. But the owners. Are like this is a this is a no brainer. It's a no brainer to sell this guy for this amount. Well, if they're going to wait, if they're if they're going to wait for another offer, why not just wait for another? Wait till January or wait till next summer? Because I don't think just because he turns thirty two suddenly no. in Saudi they're going to say, well, we're not going to no, spend two hundred million. No, he's still so, so you could always just wait till next season. You could, yeah. Although it would be it would be less uh, it would be less money reflecting his his uh, shorter contract and this type of thing. You know, I don't know. It's like the, there are a couple of problems with it. I mean, the, one of the issues is when you get like a huge transfer fee, then suddenly all the players you want to sign suddenly also become massively inflated. So it's not as maybe useful as, you know, but they have had the experience of one of the kind of transformative moments in the in their the history of their ownership was converting a star player into money to buy other players. Coutinho, yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, the thing about that was they did delay that until... They had a similar situation where Barcelona were trying to sign him in the summer. Um, and unlike Salah, he went on strike, you know, and it was like, oh, my back, I feel sad. And uh, But they they didn't sell him until December. And, and it was when they sold him, they brought in Van Dijk at the same time. So there was a kind of an immediate, not a replacement, but like, oh, okay, here's another good thing that's coming in. Whereas this mm-hmm. would be like, okay, there'd be a few months of... Against that, right? You've got like, say, say they were to pay... You know, if, if for instance, if if they offered like two hundred million pounds, right? You're like, I mean, you know, come on. It, maybe they'll still pay one hundred million next year, but like that's like paying a hundred million to have Mo Salah play for you for one year. No, I'm saying they might still pay two hundred million next year. Why would they pay any less? They well, don't maybe. seem to care that much about players' ages. Because then they might say, well, we can actually wait. And you know what? Seeing as it was e- that year has flown by, why don't we wait one more year and uh, split that money we would have given to you guys uh, with, with you, the player Mo. himself? Yes, you know. The, the, so you're running that sort of uh, that sort of risk as well. Um, I think he'll probably stay at this point, but I still think it's it's purely a question of money. Like if they if they bid if they make a high enough bid, like he will go. Mm. You know, so it's just a question of will they will they do that? Like how badly they want this to happen. Um, 
you know, this week. May I point people in the direction of Kennedy's excellent article in the Irish Times today, Murph, about mm-hmm. the whole you S- Saudi Pro League. Just one line from, we've talked a lot about this kind of stuff on the podcast, but just one great line. Right now, the foreign stars in the Pro League are like the exotic animals in Michael Jackson's garden at Neverland. They might, in a sense, be pampered. They might have nose bags full of candy floss and drinking troughs full of Gatorade. But deep down, they must know they shouldn't really be here. <laughs> More of that on the Irish Times. <laughs> Can giraffes eat candy floss? What, what do you mean, can they? I mean, as, they in, can. as in physically, yeah, can they yeah. get down and... No, I mean, if it's in a nose bag, then it's, in a nose bag, they don't it's too easy. Yeah. Yeah. You maybe sh- maybe shouldn't. But I wouldn't be feeding time. giraffes I mean, I, candy, floss on, candy floss on the regular. I'm going to say, Ken, I don't think humans should really be eating candy floss either. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm really truthful. Are we really that different from giraffes at the end of the day? Shorter no. necks. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Unbelievable gag that a four-year-old could possibly have made that Big Devon went for there. Thanks, Murph. Thank, Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Thank you Ken. Thanks for listening. France-Ireland preview podcast on Wednesday and then a late night post-match podcast on Thursday night. All available for you if you sign up to the World Service. Mm. Episodes come without ads when you become a member. You were going to say something there, man? No, just uh, the Second Captain's podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Uh, had you forgotten to mention that? No, or? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Thanks for thanks for digging me out there. Yeah, it was, it was prime vanilla ice, that. <laughs> Fe- featuring myself. Um. It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports are important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.